0: Coming up next is this month's special series, Focus on Men's Health, on ReachMD XM-157. Prostate cancer. If a man lives long enough, it's a sure thing. So how are we treating it, and what's down the road? You're listening to ReachMD XM-157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today in studio is Dr. Brian Moran, the director of the Chicago Prostate Cancer Center. Brian, give us a quick recap about your history, starting when you were 17 years old, to the Chicago Prostate Cancer Center.
1: Well, I will, Mike. When I was 17 years old, I was diagnosed with a a very aggressive testicular carcinoma. I was fortunate at that time to be enrolled in one of the early platinum studies with Dr. Larry Einhorn at Indiana University. And as we know from Lance Armstrong's malignancy and his treatment successfully, it's been a great advancement in medicine. I then went on to study medicine at Loyola University and specializing in radiation oncology. And, you know, specialized in radiation oncology and shortly after my residency really ended up in GU oncology, probably because I felt that I had a real attachment to testicular cancer and prostate cancer and just treating men with cancer Got involved then with prostate brachytherapy, the radioactive, radioactive seed implantation of the prostate. We've had great results. We devoted our, really, our entire, my entire career to our new center, which is really not new anymore. We've been around since 1997. We've done over 10,000 implants, and the patients have done quite well.
0: Would you say it's one of the largest centers in the country? It is. How about in the world?
1: It is. There's other excellent centers around the country, Seattle, New York, San Antonio. There's quite a few centers, but we are at the highest volume.
0: So let's talk about the future. What's going on in the future, and what problems are we going to overcome?
1: Well, I think old news is treatment with surgery or seeds. I think the results are excellent with both, and I think that debate's over. One of the things that's interesting today that faces clinicians is the patient with a rising PSA, despite having numerous negative rectal transrectal biopsies of the prostate gland. And these patients, you know, raise the question, is there a malignancy hiding in the prostate? The Italians, the Japanese, and our center have been instrumental in a new type of biopsy, which is obtaining tissue from the perineum just In a very similar procedure, the way we do the prostate seed implants, it's a perineal biopsy that's guided by ultrasound from the rectum, so transrectal ultrasound guidance, with a perineal template that one is able to map the prostate gland and more specifically map where the biopsy specimens are obtained from. The procedure takes anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes. It's done under general anesthesia. And on the average, one core, one biopsy core is obtained per cc of tissue. So if you have a 40 cubic centimeter gland, which is really average for most men, then about 40 cords are taken. Patients do very well. They have an incredibly low infection rate. In fact, I'm really not even aware of it. We have a large series I'll mention in a minute. Because the perineum is unlike penetrating the rectum, the retention rate, urinary retention rate after this procedure is about 7%. And hematuria is quite rare. Patients do very well, rarely complaining of pain. But more importantly, it's the data this, this procedure is uh, showing us. We are finding malignancies in 40% of these patients. And we're finding them where we didn't think we'd find them. These cancers are being found primarily in the anterior apex of the prostate. And if you read most of the pathology literature today, they would say that greater than 90% of cancers are found posteriorly in the peripheral zone of the prostate. We published in October the journal Urology, and it was, I think, one of the first American institutions to publish in one of the major journals. Again, the Italians and the Japanese have been doing this for quite a few years. I know that if I need a prostate biopsy, that's what I will do, because I don't want... Initially, you Initially, I will do it initially. And the reason it's not done initially, obviously, the reimbursement is the same as transrectal. It's much more labor-intensive. The reason we're able to do it here in Chicago is because our center is set up for this, and the staff is highly efficient, so we can do this in a very short period of time with a highly dedicated team, so it makes sense. Are you doing this? The urologists do it. I'm very comfortable with it, but the urologists do it with their patients, and they're they're interesting. The evolution has been, Mike, that when we brought this out, There was great skepticism among the clinicians, but today it's really amazing to see how they've bought into this. And again, it is not rewarding for their time to come and do this procedure. So they are bringing patients that are true diagnostic dilemmas. These are the patients that are driving them nuts in their office. You know, PSA is now 13, and he's had seven sets of biopsies over the last two years. And then, you know, unfortunately, we're finding some highly, highly malignant tumors Now, the good news is for the patient that has a negative biopsy, he can be relatively rest assured that he does not have a cancer, and we term those patients to have elevated PSA of benign origin.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Brian Moran about his work with brachytherapy for prostate cancer, and we're talking about newer ways of biopsy. Well, where would, where would you draw the line with patients? How many normal transrectal biopsies would you recommend before you went to this biopsy? You said you'd do it initially, but...
1: I don't think there's any clear-cut guidelines, and the American Urologic Association is is really going to have to wrestle with this one because, I mean, clearly not everybody who needs a biopsy needs this biopsy. This biopsy is, in my opinion, for selected patients. Those are patients who've, who, you know, there's a high clinical suspicion of an occult malignancy, yet they have not identified it. So it is It is a very comprehensive procedure. It gives the clinician a high level of confidence that either there is a malignancy or there's not one. The patient has great assurance. And, you know, the data is, is incredibly strong. And we're soon to publish now on, on 750 patients with this data set. And again, the numbers hold. It's a 40% positive malignancy identification. I'm a therapeutic radiologist in radiation oncology. And it has implications for instance we divide the prostate into eight regions or octants and we call this octant diagnostics and if in fact a patient has a malignancy confined to one octant then one would argue why can't you just treat that one octant just like a lumpectomy on a breast and I'm, i mean we really are following dr veronese's breast work from the 1960s which today is the standard of care and people argue and joke about the lumpectomy for the prostate patient. Well, I think with today's technology, with the robot out there, with targeted therapy, which is easy to do with brachytherapy, in fact, I will promote a meeting that's going to be held at Duke this year. Dr. Mole, Judd Mole out in uh, Duke University, is going to have the first meeting on targeted treatment for prostate cancer, whether it's with brachytherapy, whether it's with cryotherapy, which is freezing it, and possibly even lumpectomy, where they remove that portion of the prostate. Prostate's a very small organ, though, a very small gland, I should say. And I can't imagine removing one-eighth of the prostate. Right.
0: I'm going to play devil's advocate, for for instance, from a patient's point of view now. So if you have cancer in one part of your prostate, and I think you agree, if a male lives long enough, you get prostate cancer. Almost everybody, if we lived 120, will get it. So why not just treat the whole gland?
1: Well, I mean, if if you talk to any clinician today, they'll say that prostate cancer is a diffuse disease. We've all been trained that way, that if, if it's like mice, there's no such thing as one mouse in a house. But I do think there's a subset of patients that we are diagnosing this disease so much earlier. And there's been a trend over the last 20 years of disease upon diagnosis that's diffuse. I mean, we used to diagnose them in residency where you couldn't even put your finger in the rectum because it was obstructed by a a malignant prostate mass. And those were called annular cancers. But I think we're on this swinging down. We're just diagnosing it so much earlier that yes, in fact, it's possible that the disease is only in one area of the gland. And then one can argue, well, if five years later, 10 years later, another cancer develops, why can't you go back and just do the same thing again? Again, this is all being done to preserve quality of life. We've done approximately 80 to, I I don't know the exact number, probably 85 patients with targeted brachytherapy, all on protocol. And there's a group down in Florida that's doing targeted cryotherapy. You can really only do this type of procedure on somebody who's had that stereotactic biopsy because you have coordinates, X, Y, and Z coordinates, and you have a high level of confidence of where the malignancy was obtained from. And you know, they do great. And we're confining this, this protocol as older patients.
0: Well, how much greater do they do than the guy like me?
1: They have essentially no morbidity. I mean, the patients we've seen, because you're you're really not traversing the urethra. You're not giving a large radiation dose to the to the bladder neck or to the anterior rectal wall. And and these patients do beautifully. But it's not for everybody. We have patients that come to our clinic and say, I want targeted therapy. And, and we'll say, you're not a candidate for it.
0: Isn't the feeling like overseas in Europe different about prostate cancer anyway like if you're at a certain age they just really kind of don't treat it with as much seriousness as we do they don't treat
1: it when you're older it depends where you are in Europe I mean in Sweden they they don't treat it at all and that's where all the natural history of prostate cancer comes from
0: well, was that a matter of cost or a matter of just they don't
1: no it's it's really the government they they just don't treat it certain areas in Europe are very aggressive with prostate cancer treatment whether and primarily surgery although implants are coming into vogue in Europe. It's going to be interesting because I think all of this has cost implications. And if we can treat a prostate cancer for one-third or one-fourth of the current costs we pay today, I mean, it's going to make a difference.
0: Okay. So you're a guy who's had a dream and a vision, and you put it into reality. You created the center. So dream with me a little bit more. Where do you see in, in your wildest dreams this going... Where, where do you see prostate cancer in the future?
1: Oh, boy. If technology keeps going the way it has in, in my career, I think we will. I think we will with improved imaging studies. And that's the other thing. People talk about targeted therapy. Well, you can do what's called MRI spectroscopy, which the results are very encouraging. There's other modalities, nuclear medicine studies, but there's nothing like having tissue to guide you. There's some very sophisticated markers that are not yet available. PSA has been highly criticized for its overall accuracy, whether it's specificity or sensitivity. And, you know, my response to that is, it's the best thing we have today, PSA. That's why the mortality for this disease has plummeted in the last 20 years. But I do think with the advent of newer markers, and they're out there and they're coming, especially genetic markers, who's at risk, we're going to just continue to diagnose this disease earlier and earlier. And, you know, Mike, it's really the patients that go on to die from the disease, like this singer, Dan Fogelberg, who I learned just died of advanced prostate cancer. He was in his 50s, and, you know, that's a tragedy. And those are the real heartbreakers. You know, it's it's not the 78-year-old man who has this low-risk disease that he'll die from and he'll never even know he had it. But it's these young men that have these virulent forms of the disease, and uh, we need to focus our direction there. And the answer to those patients is not just surgery. It's not seeds. It's really approaching them multidisciplinary fashion, and whether it's chemotherapy or all different new technologies that are out there that you and I are not aware of. But I guarantee you they're going to be there in 5, 10 years.
0: Brian, thanks for being our guest today and telling us about the Chicago Prostate Cancer Treatment Center. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMDXM is here for you, the health professionals who care for your patients. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library, and we seriously thank you for listening to our station. Listen all month as ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals, presents a special series focus on men's health.